What's up, everybody? My name is Billy Boozer, and welcome back to episode two of the Hustle Mob podcast. Like I mentioned last time, we haven't even come up with a name for this podcast. And so, um, you know, if you have any ideas, please comment below. Let me know. I think we're kind of thinking about something like bringing hustle back in a very bringing sexy back tone or uh, everyday hustle, kind of like every day I'm hustling. Uh, but you know, we haven't decided and it should be a fun process to select that thing. And as a, a, in the true entrepreneurial spirit, I don't like to solve problems until they're problems. Right. And it's not really that big of a problem at this moment. And so, um, you know, like I said, if you have any suggestions, please comment below. Um, I've got an amazing guest today that has probably one of my favorite hustle stories, period. Like, I mean, like maybe ever. And I was only recently introduced to the actual story behind it, but I've known Leroy for a long time. This is Leroy Height from Cutting Edge Firewood. He has one of the most interesting hustle stories ever, and it really leads up to the culmination of his business. And so um, why don't you, Leroy, give us a bit of an introduction to who you are, and then we'll jump into what you do. Uh, every day. Fantastic. Yes. I'm the founder and CEO of Cutting Edge Firewood. I grew up in Northwest Georgia near Chattanooga, um, part of a, a fairly poor family, large, one of eight kids. And uh, um, then I- Oh, one of eight to... kids. I love yeah. that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's so awesome. I did not know that. Went to uh, Barry College where freshman year met Billy. Yeah. Um, while I was there, well, one, I got married a uh, junior year spring break. Something some people don't know about me, and it was planned. <laughs> um, also, while I was there, I started a different firewood company, which is where I actually got the uh, the inspiration for cutting edge firewood. Oh, that's awesome, man! Tell me more, real quick, about. I mean, you were uh, part of one of eight children in your family, mm -hmm. and you also mentioned that you grew up fairly, you know, poor. Uh, you know, kind of to take your term. So, tell tell yep. me about that. Like, how did how has that influenced where you are today? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, as a child, I had a great childhood, and I have great memories. Spent a lot of time playing outside. Yeah, being one of eight kids, I definitely had a lot of chores, and I was the uh, oldest son. I was the fifth child, but oldest son, and so. So I had the bulk of the yard work and we lived on an acre and we had a um, small garden. I would spend a couple hours working every day, whether it was moving around mulch, digging ditches, cutting the yard with really crappy equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, just a funny real quick story one time. It was probably eight years ago, used a chainsaw to cut up a tree that had fallen over in my backyard. And I was just like, man, this is... I'd use a chainsaw a thousand times. I was in the backyard. I was like, this is amazing because as a kid, I had this dull saw I had to use to cut up trees that would just take hours of just sitting there gnawing at it <laughs> yeah, but, I, but by I the got end that. of the summer, you've got giant arms, right? So, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I was one scrawny kid, but yeah, <laughs> I definitely sure uh, learned to hustle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anytime you're squatting, it's just you pointing towards your cut, actually. It's real cut up, really defined. I did have six-pack abs, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Tell me more about Cutting Edge Firewood and how you arrived at Cutting Edge Firewood. What I always like to open up with is really give 
the vision. Um, and really, when I was in college and had started that firewood company before we shut it down, I, I saw the tip of the iceberg of this vision. What that has grown into is a fire is like a beautiful sunset. There's literally no one on earth that dislikes a beautiful fire. You can take a 95-year-old man from Ethiopia and a three-year-old girl from Georgia. They will both sit in front of a fire and enjoy it. It's universal, it's unifying, and it's primal. After a stressful day, I can sit in front of a fire and my stress level goes down. My wife can come out and all of a sudden the mood changes and it's romantic. My three daughters can come out and make s'mores and memories they will have for a lifetime. And teenagers will actually put their phones down and talk to their parents around the fire. And it can be at the center of a wedding party. And I make incredible food, whether it's steaks, barbecue, or pizza with our cooking wood. And I love on that one side, it's the experience aspect, which is actually our mission statement and what drives us is the customer experience. I'm all about the customer experience from the beginning to the end. And that's all on one side is the experience. On the other end, what I love about the industry is before we got into it, the industry standard was wood would sit outside for 12 months, rot, literally have mushrooms growing out of it. And the business strategy, the branding, the customer service, and the overall customer experience match that product quality of rotting wood. So that really kind of encapsulates what I love about the firewood and the cooking wood, the experience side, and it was completely undisrupted. There was really no brand. There was no Yeti. There was no Starbucks. There was no Apple of firewood. Try and think of a well-branded firewood company There's yeah not one till cutting edge firewood yeah, the so. only one i can think of is the guy that sits on the back on his tailgate at the uh whatever corner <laughs> you know, every corner in the southeast during during the beginning of or end of the fall and is selling firewood bundles that's that's the exactly only one. that's the brand that i see when i see all that is what really brought me into it. And that plus there's a long story behind this that we won't get into, but I definitely felt like it was my calling in life um, from God to come in and disrupt the business. So, well, uh, tell me a little bit about the version that gets you to this, right? Like, yep. you know, were there failures? Were there successes? The thing that you had to beat to get to this point? I had the previous firewood company while I was in college, got the uh, epiphany, got the inspiration, went and worked in corporate America. I worked at Chick-fil-A for a year, thought about becoming an operator, wasn't for me. I went and worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car for three years. Brutal place to work, but learned a lot of good life experience. And then got a job at a corporate um, company in downtown Atlanta. During that whole time, I was kind of obsessed about fancy firewood. And I was like, dear God, please get this out of my head. This is such a weird obsession. <laughs> and <laughs> it would not get out of my head. And so in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, how could I start a firewood company? How could I start a firewood company? Even though I was way too scared to try and start it. My wife and I had joked that when my 93 Geo Prism broke down, super fancy car, 266,000 miles on it. Um, <laughs> when it broke down, it was going to be um, five grand to fix a car that I sold for scrap metal for $300. Yeah. And two months in, it broke down. And then that Saturday, my wife went to a baby shower and I woke up and I'd never done this before. I woke up and I actually fasted the whole day and prayed. 
And by the end of the day, I decided, you know what? I'm going to step out in a small leap of faith. I think God's calling me to start this business. That's weird. Don't really know what that even means because it's fancy firewood. But I'm going to start this on the side. (laughs) And talked to my wife about it. Went in to work Monday and actually fired me on the spot. And I was like, oh, apparently I'm going to be doing this full time and take a (laughs) big leap of faith. Yeah. And I mean, I, I didn't even have a plan. Like I was trying to remake a homemade kiln. I thought, you know, I'm going to go up to a supplier that I'd known from my previous experience and hopefully buy some wood from them. Turns out they were out of business. The kiln I was making wasn't working. Spent the whole summer trying to do that. Maxed out a bunch of credit cards, got a personal loan. So I bought a truck, a trailer, and then what's called a Toro Dingo. It's kind of it looks like a miniature bobcat. Okay. It's tracks on it, and you can put forks on the front of it. And this the is idea like when was you stand in, not versus yes. sitting in. Okay, yes, I'm familiar. Yes, correct. Yep, yep. You see landscapers a lot of times. Yes. using them. It's a crazy story, but uh, the federal government had actually got like regulate, got in into regulating firewood because of an invasive species. And long story short, made it where it made sense for a firewood company to be in Atlanta, and they had to have a kiln. And so I wanted kiln dried wood and they agreed to to dry it more for me. And so I'd pay them a little bit more. And it so it just all kind of came together behind the scenes without really me doing anything. So I would deliver the firewood with that dingo, had the wood on a pallet in a basket. That first year was just brutal. Deliveries would take two hours once I showed up. Mm. And it was walking across the yard carrying firewood in the rain and the snow and the freezing cold just for hours on day. And if I had eight deliveries, then I would on average be out um, working for eight. 18 hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, my uh, snowpocalypse happened that January. Oh, I remember that. Right. <laughs> yeah. For those yeah. of you who don't know, this is the, the Southeast froze over and uh, <laughs> we don't handle any frozen anything well. Our roads do not work that way or our brains don't, whichever one. I have no problem driving on snow or even ice. But when you throw a few million other people into the mix, yeah. gliding all over the place and you're driving a truck and a trailer, that's yep. like a nightmare scene. Yeah, but- I, I lived in Birmingham at the time and I, I lived um, to get to my house. You had to go to a hill that was like this. And at the bottom of this hill were about 27 cars that had tried it once. And, and they just bailed on their cars and walked up the hill <laughs> to go get to their house. So Yeah, I don't want to get into it too much. There's a whole story there, but people yeah. would like stop halfway up the hill at a stop sign and then start sliding back towards you. And here I am hauling a bunch of wood yeah. and having to like dodge them and stuff. It took me eight and a half hours to get home, but I had to get home because uh, my wife was um, almost nine months pregnant. So my wow. oldest daughter was born about a week later. Finished that year, had about $30,000 in the bank account. And I'm like, yeah, that's enough money to get me through the year and or through the summer. And so I had a bunch of credit card debt, that private loan or personal loan, and then that uh, piece of equipment. I I should be good. Um, Truck breaks down. That was 10 grand. And then hot water heater went out. And all of a sudden, I only had $17,000 to get me through the summer. Well, I find myself um, towards the end of July. From a Thursday to a Monday, I only had $12 in the bank account. Mm. And July is not a good time to run out of money for a firewood company. And Not in the South, I was like, that's for sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, why in the world did you call me into this, God? Because here I did. I went, took this leap of faith and I am screwed. I was in the fetal position for most of those four days and went to church on a Sunday, went out, prayed with an elder. And he was like, yeah, um, help the business, yada, yada, yada. And let us not put you to the test. I went home, read about Israel um, putting God to the test. Israel was out in the middle of the desert. They were just hours away from watching their kids die in front of their eyes from dehydration. And a lot of times we read those stories and we're like, they just saw the Nile parted like a couple of weeks ago or whatever it is. Like, why do they doubt? Like, literally, their kids are about to die in front of their eyes. Of course, they're freaking out. We would. I realized that basically I was doing the same thing they were doing. I had a good reason, a good excuse, but I was doubting God's goodness, and I could yeah. broke down and wept. And next day, restaurant calls and puts in, at the time, my by far largest order, about $2,000. And they were decorating with firewood. And while I was doing that delivery, guy says, hey, I want you to buy my firewood company. I was like, well, we're kind of fancy firewood. I don't know if your customers would buy from me. Turns out this company had been around for a while. And if you Googled firewood, his company came up first. Oh, and I knew nice. that once he said who he was. And he said, I'll, I'll sell you my business for 45000 and I was like, whoa, 45000 I have $2,012 in the bank account. Not even sure that's enough to get me to the winner. And I was like, but clearly this is God. So yeah, I'll, uh, um, I'll buy your business and made some sales, got a loan from basically like almost like an online loan shark. And <laughs> I was able to buy them for $19,000. The first four years of the business was like that hardcore manual labor and wife, a couple of years at home with kids, some of the time pregnant, working 50 plus hours. I was gone working 100, 120 hours a week doing hard manual labor. I like working out. And one year I ended August at 210 pounds. And by the end of the year, so four months later, I was 170 pounds. From oh, just wow. brutal manual labor, stress, just killing myself, not having enough money, it falling out of the sky. For the first four years, that's what it was just nonstop. 2017, I went to my wife and said, hey, we need to take this to the next level. I know you're eight months pregnant with our third daughter. Let's <laughs> sell our house and invest it in the business. Wow. And so that's what we did. And that's really when we took it to the next level and deliveries went from the two hours to now they're about 15 minutes a piece. And then skip ahead to 2019, started putting out yard signs all around Atlanta and started shipping across the country. And 2020 happened. Yeah, we exploded because of COVID. So we now over half of our revenue is shipping across the country. Both, oh. And we really got into cooking wood um, in a big way. Um, I think a couple of things that really stood out there to me were you talked about kind of arriving at that it kind of happened for you based on, you know, those federal changes. But what, what I hear that I hear the intersection of opportunity and persistence is, uh, you know, what we call luck, right? But Absolutely. It, it sounds like to me what happened was, and, and there are a couple of businesses in Atlanta that are subject to this, an online gambling business that I'm familiar with in, in Atlanta, <laughs> that when the federal government deregulated sports betting, uh, or at least, you know, put that back on the state, this guy was toiling, you know, for years on, you know, a online sports betting application. And all of a sudden, boom, 
uh, you know, it's it's time for his company to take it to the moon, right? And then they're doing it. And it isn't luck, you know, and just like you said earlier, it, you know, how God was kind of po- pointing you in that direction and continuing to guide you in that mission. It's the intersection of a lot of hard work, you know, probably some divine intervention, which some may call luck, but uh, I don't think we do. And the persistence to not give up on a dream or a mission, right? And yep. I think recently, you know, over the last couple of years, I've realized within businesses how important a mission is and how important to each individual that is a part of that business to believe in that mission and be invigorated by that mission because it's what drives us in the moments where we are working 120 hours a week and we are, you know, doing manual labor and we are out there sweating and constantly not sleeping. And, you know, I I talk about how, when I was learning how to build software, my, my wife used to go to sleep by the light of my computer because I was constantly reading and trying to learn how to, you know, build software. So, uh, no, I mean, I think that's, that's one of those things that no one ever sees. And this is in the startup world, they call it the three year overnight success, but they don't see the three years that it took to hit the point of inflection of, you know, a federal deregulation of something or, you know, finally finding the message that resonates with your customer. And I think the other thing that, you know, when you were talking about what you think about the experience that that you're trying to replicate for other people, I think what that reminds me of, there's a book called Story Brand. I can't remember who it's by, but it's a famous book that talks about, you know, people really love the story associated with it, but not, not just that. You have to be able to place people in the moments that your product will be valuable for them. One of the beautiful things about the story that you tell is, is that the object that you've created, the thing you're selling does not change, but depending on who interacts with it, depending on the moment, right? Uh, the, the tone and the, uh, the memories that are created are completely different. Like you said, when your children show up, it becomes fun. It becomes this moment of camaraderie. And then when your older children put their phones down and they have a conversation and they learn, there's almost reverence in that moment, mm-hmm. right? And meditation mm-hmm. in that moment. And then when your wife shows up and it becomes a romantic moment between you and someone that you love deeply. Right. And so Mm -hmm. like, it's so interesting how whoever is in the context of that conversation, but around that object changes the actual experience itself. And it creates those memories. I think, Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, and I was an architecture major before I turned into a software engineer. He used to talk about the fireplace being the central element in homes, not because you could hang a TV over it and all of you stare at it, right? (laughs) Because of the experience during his time that it created. It created the opportunity for camaraderie, romanticism, fun, excitement, all of those things in different contexts. So that's that's really beautiful. At what point in time did you decide that it was time for you to you know, not do the kind of traditional, I, I'm an individual, I'm a sole proprietor, and I'm going after this. Like, when did you decide to flip it to an actual business entity? Was that early on in the process? Did you go ahead and like, you know, do it yourself? Or how, how did you take on just the business functions of this business? I always saw it as growing. 
and having potential of going national. I didn't have a clear pathway. It was definitely fuzzy to say the least. It was the the old tip of the iceberg and everything underneath was fuzzy and not very clear, but I knew there was something there. 2017, when I reinvented how to deliver firewood locally, I definitely got a clearer picture of how it could grow and scale was basically take what I was building and really that it started in 2017 and through 18 and 19. We continue to improve it every year, but really got the, I guess, blueprint to that we could replicate in different cities. And then in um, 2019, when we started shipping it at first, I didn't, I wasn't very confident that that was going to work. But then when it exploded in 2020, I saw that between those two different strategies that it could become a national brand, hopefully will become well known everywhere. So it really, it came in stages. I wanted it to become big from the beginning, but it's become more and more clear as time's gone on. I think this is again, pointing towards that idea that it always takes longer than we expect it to. And our ambitions, while are amazing because they drive us towards that mission, our ambitions yep. are typically ahead of our abilities at times. And it's our yeah. goal as entrepreneurs to continue to use our ambition as fuel to continue to push those businesses forward. Because, yeah. you know, whether that whether that ambition or that mission comes to fruition, you know, within 12 months of you starting or 48 months of you starting or six years of you starting, right? It doesn't yeah. matter because that was what it took to get to that point. And you met your goals, right? Yeah. And so I, I think that's super cool. What What was it like buying that business? I know it sounded like you know you didn't have enough money to do it. It, it, it. There was a leap of faith that happened in that moment, but it sounds like there was some kind of metric or some kind of obviously being first place in Google matters for your business, right? So like, there's right. a strategic element to that as well. Tell me a little bit more about that important thing to know if you're first starting out is it's a small percentage of the population, just a few percentage points. Very successful entrepreneurs are generally either a visionary or they're an operator. A visionary more sees the vision. An operator, somebody can come in, is naturally inclined to make it happen. A visionary, if they get stuff done, it's just through like basically being, could per be perceived as just being stubborn, but it's really having the determination and just through willpower, making things come about. It's that kind of what you're saying is making your luck happen where you're just throwing stuff against the wall until it sticks. Yeah. You're beating your head against that brick wall until it finally starts <laughs> giving away. There's so much that kind of what you were saying earlier was it takes longer than you think it's going to. Really part of it becoming a true entrepreneur and growing, I guess, a maturity as a mature entrepreneur is learning to embrace the suck. Yeah. Um, that you have to get comfortable with things sucking sometimes. And even oh. you'll, through my business, I've had ups and downs. I mean, hundreds of them where I'm like, second year in business, I made a uh, six-figure profit, which is very, usually businesses take five years. And I thought I was like big stuff. Mm -hmm. it, not that actually went to my head or anything, but it, it really raised my confidence. And then I had several years where I was just struggling and barely surviving after that yeah. um, financially. 
and just up, down, up, down. There's an analogy that I heard early on, and I really like it, is in ancient times, generals would, after they would sell their soldiers somewhere, they would burn the boats so that their option was win or die. And you yeah. have to have that. It's it's actually crazy. If you have a safety net, you will lean into it instead yeah. of... Um, so you have to not have a backup plan in order to make sometimes make crazy things work. That's yes. how, um, and it's actually crazy. Like most entrepreneurs are immigrants to the United States or the children of immigrants and they don't have a safety net. And that's one of the reasons that they become entrepreneurs. You have to be like, this is what I'm doing. And if I fail, I'm going to pick myself up and do it again um, until it's successful. Well, I mean, you know what's interesting? I talked to an entrepreneur yesterday. They'd raised over $10 million in the last couple of months for a piece of mm -hmm. software that they had developed. One of the things they talked about was the concept of because of the industry that they're in, they're in like artificial intelligence. They were able to raise a bit faster in, in a different way than some of these normal startups are because right now that's an, an important like part of the current culture. Like a lot of people are thinking about this problem. He said, yep. but one of the things that was important, even though they had been toiling on this business for three or four years now, uh, was that you know, they skipped a step. And one of the concerns is, is that because they skipped a step, meaning like a series, a seed round investment, they really went to a, a series A style round investment. The concern was, hey, had they missed the opportunity or the learning opportunity that existed between, you know, them and their co-founders and them and the rest of the employees within the business to feel the pain that they needed to feel to teach them the things they needed to teach during that time to be resilient once they were able to, you know, acquire the funding needed to really grow and go after the vision that they're going towards. Yep. And I think that what people don't realize is, is that the, the time, whether it is a long or short is actually a necessary element of actually creating your business, right? It isn't just uh, an inevitability, right? It's not just yes. like, oh, you know, time is time. It's actually yes. purposeful, right? You need yep. to learn the inertia, the pain points, as well as your customer, right? It takes time to learn your customer. A couple of things that I get out of all of your story is it's not easy for people to recognize opportunities. And when you, when I think in retrospect, about what you're talking about with what is the brand of firewood, right? And what what was the traditional way to do it? And then I see how you looked at an opportunity to actually change the way people think about this um, and change how people interact with that that resource. I think about yeah. like that is so visionary and trailblazing, right? Like. I've never in my life ever thought about it outside the context of bundles sitting outside of the back of a pickup truck. Normally that is a white pickup truck with a beat up to a bed and it's on the corner on an intersection somewhere and they're selling them for $20 a bundle or whatever the number is, right? When I think about that, that's how I had thought about it before. You looked at it as an opportunity, which is super cool. And your business is going great. I mean, like we've had you know conversations about just how 
how great it's grown. And I think it's just one of the most interesting side hustle, or excuse me, hustle businesses, right? If I were to go pitch somebody luxury firewood or I was upmarket firewood or anything in that those that tone, someone would laugh at me, right? But what's <laughs> real about it is, is that there are people that see beautiful firewood and it changes the emotional perspective that they address a place. I think about yep. every great barbecue place that I've ever been in had this stack of immaculate wood that sat over next to it. I was like, dude, that stuff, that that hickory smells good and it looks good. Like that's really cool. You know, I think that's super cool, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing that story. So I, I've got a couple questions I'm going to ask you real quick. They're just kind of, you know, not, not this stuff, not the business story side, but normally I have some lessons associated with, you know, different types of uh, things that I interact with. So uh, tell me about what's your favorite documentary. It has to be Chernobyl. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Cool. 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 It is such Although, a cool story. Yeah, it is a great story, and and he did. Even though it's a sad story, he had his vision and definitely had persistence. Yeah, um, he did the right thing, and he had the persistence. I guess yeah. is what I like about it. So, tell me about what's your favorite book? Now, I normally point towards business books because my I really want to try to help people figure out how to you know yep. get over something. But if it's fictional, whether it taught you know, if it taught you something, tell me about that. my favorite book would definitely be fictional. But I would say good to great is yeah is my book. favorite it's yeah. it's an old one but it's a good one and it just has so many fun fundamentals something that's that should never be overlooked with books is that there are always lessons to be learned with whatever you're reading right what what even if it's negative right the the, yep. the what not to do what is it the you know the old famous now now people say is completely not true was you know thomas edison figured out you know ten thousand ways not to make a light bulb before he made a light bulb and then there's also you know a lot of historical reference behind you know who all were went into making that light bulb and so like yep. i think I think it is important that we always look at books, regardless of whether they're old or new, with the lens of it's my opportunity to learn something that I didn't know before. Um, so tell, tell me, uh, tell me where people can find you. How can they get in contact with you? How can they go yep. buy cutting edge firewood? And if there's anything else that you'd like to share, uh, you know, as far as you know how to get in touch with you or what you guys are up to, you know, coming up in the next couple months, please feel free to. Definitely the best place to buy firewood or cooking wood or pizza wood is on cuttingedgefirewood.com. If you want to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn under Leroy Height. Awesome. I'm Billy Boozer. This is the Hustle Mob podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about Hustle Mob, please go to hustlemob.com. Um, and go pre-register for your username. We're building a community for entrepreneurs, just like when Lee Leroy started out this business. Uh, you know, building better tools for the earliest stage entrepreneur, the 30 million you know people that have single employee businesses, the 24 million. Uh, sole proprietorships in the United States. We're building better tools and community to help you move that business from side hustle that it is now to a real business that helps support your family. And I can't thank Leroy enough uh, for showing up and, and telling us his amazing story. And uh, I really appreciate it. So go check out Cutting Edge Firewood. And uh, I really appreciate all of y'all's time today. Y'all have an absolutely fantastic day. See ya.